Hello, this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. We've been studying David and we've been asking this question, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? And how does that actually play out for us today? And we've been walking through his narrative a little bit, right? We, we were there when he was anointed king. We were there when he was, uh, when he was uh, killing giants, right? And he was running from King Saul. And um, we, we were there when uh, he experienced success, right? And the Lord really established his throne. And so this morning, we're going to talk about probably the second most popular story that David has, uh, has in Scripture. We know David and Goliath, right? And we know David and Bathsheba, right? They made movies off of, I don't know if they made a David and Goliath movie. They should have if they didn't, but there's a movie like in the 50s called David and Goliath. Anyway, um, <laughs> wasn't a great movie, um, but it was there. Um, <laughs> they did it. VeggieTales did one. It was like King David and the Rubber Ducky, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. I, I've not watched it, but my wife told me about that one, and I was like, how can you downplay the story of David and Bathsheba to a rubber ducky? I don't understand, because <laughs> it's pretty intense. <laughs> but we're going to talk about it this morning, and this story is pretty um, It's pretty intense. It's pretty heavy, and I believe uh, most of us probably are familiar with it. And what I want to caution us with is don't let your familiarity with a story rob you from what God wants to speak to you this morning. Because I, I, I've, heard, I've heard preachers preach things. I may have heard something. When, when, pa- when, uh, when Pastor Tyler and I were in ministry school, we sat under Pastor Jamie Montera, and he would preach messages over and over and over again. How many times did you hear, like, the rooster crows again? Yeah, something like that. But every single time God would speak and move to us, we could probably preach those messages just as good as Pastor Jamie from memory and just like reciting them because we'd heard them so many times. Not that they would carry the same weight or the anointing or anything like that, but (laughs) we could do it. But I remember how God would move every single time. So I want us to come to a familiar passage of scripture like this, something that maybe we might know the story already with, uh, with a sensitivity to the Lord asking him to speak to us. It's imperative that we do that every time we come to scripture because it is alive, it is active, and God has something that he wants to speak to you and me, and I'm excited for that. And so before I walk, walk us through and, and read this entire passage of Scripture, uh, I want you to understand uh, something. There's going to be some spoiler alerts here. King David messes up, and he blows it badly. That's to put it lightly. And I don't know about any of you, but uh, maybe you've had moments in your life where you've made some pretty major mistakes. And you look back and say, man, I messed that one up. Um, I know I have quite a few of those, <laughs> and uh, I'd like to say, <laughs> I'd like to say that, like you know, I've got like all these successes. But when I look back throughout history, and I look back throughout my story, I, it's easy for me to really see those big, glaring mistake moments, right? <laughs> Any for you guys? No. 
Well, I want you to know that I believe this story is strategically placed in here after King David's success, after we see his rise to power, and after we, after we see kind of him, him wearing that like crown of victory and really doing well. And we see this, and I believe it's not just from a historical account. I believe that to be true. But I believe there's something to be served as a warning to you and I here. This is King David. This is the king of all of Israel. This was the guy that was hand-chosen by God. It was told of him that he was after God's own heart, right? He was, like, he was the musician of all musicians. He was the psalmist that wrote all these beautiful worship songs. Like he was the giant slayer, the killer. Like he was the guy that was going to go to battle. He was fearless. He suffered uh, injustice at the hand of King Saul, but wouldn't touch him back, right? This is like King David's the man, right? If there's like a guy that's got his stuff to put together, like I'm looking at King David right now saying, dude, I want to be like him. And I still, to this day, come back and say, I want to be like King David. But yet he falls tragically. And I believe it's to serve as a warning to you and I. Friends, there's never a moment that we arrive and there's never a moment that we're safe from temptation. I need you to understand this. Whether you've been in ministry for the last 30-something years, if you've just given your life to Jesus, friends, we're all susceptible to failure. There is temptation that exists, and none of us are exempt from it. In fact, Jesus himself was not exempt from temptation. You need to know this. Temptation is not a sin. (laughs) We will be tempted. We will be tried. (laughs) How we respond in the face of temptation determines that outcome. Does that make sense? And so we're going to look at King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you guys want to uh, turn with me there. Or maybe you're on your phone like me and you want to click there. We can do that. In verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. My very first point this morning, friends... And I believe uh, this, these few verses set up for a tragic story for David here as we kind of unravel this whole chapter. But there's something you need to know is that complacency welcomes temptation. It serves as a big welcoming sign. Just saying, hey, I'm complacent. I'm sitting idly by. Here I am. Uh, I'm up for the grabs. And I need you to, I need you to kind of ra- walk with me here as we track this. You see, I believe that David grew comfortable in his palace and neglected his calling as king to advance the kingdom. I believe David would have never wound up in the predicament that we see him winding up in if he would have been preoccupied about the king's business and advancing the kingdom rather than just sitting around in his palace. You see, uh, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 10, right be- or 2 Samuel chapter 10, right before this, that uh, David sends Joab, he sends the commanders of his army, he sends his people to battle, right, to fight the Ammonites earlier. 
and they get their beard shaved off, right, <laughs> like halfway, and there's great shame, and they get sent back, and then the army goes back, and they have this little skirmish, they have this little battle, but there really isn't any, any action until David shows up at the scene at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 10 to lead his people into victory. So, God, so David understood and knew one, by the example of the, like the cultural custom that a king would go to battle with his people. But secondly, he knew from experience that, he, uh, that his people encountered victory when he was with them in battle. It was something that w- he was accustomed to. But he got to the place where he felt like he arrived. I believe he got to the place where he felt like things were comfortable and things were okay, and he could send someone else in his place to fulfill what God had called him and asked him to do. And so he finally, you know, I've been, at this point in time, he's been king for 34 years. You know, he's probably tired of all the fighting. He's probably tired of all the, you know, all the slaying and all this stuff. And it's been, it's been, a, it's been a good spell, right? David hasn't necessarily had an easy life. <laughs> he hasn't had an easy go at it. And so most of us would probably say, yeah, you know what? It's time to retire, David. Find somebody else. Find somebody a little younger that can go out there and, like, whip some butts, right? Just you call the shots, just but stay, stay comfortable. Kind of puts his feet up, and he's relaxing at home. And it's in that place that temptation rears its head. And I, I wrote this, friends, um, that he expected someone else to fulfill his calling. And I believe that that's something that we can grow uh, dangerously close to in our culture in this day and age, that we can, we can, we can serve Jesus passionately and we can kind of do the church thing and then we can kind of grow weary in doing good. You know what? We might still show up to church. We might still put some money in the offering and we might we might like just kind of cheer on from the sidelines and say, you know what, we're passing the baton on to another generation. We're just kind of here and we're going to let them see revival um, and bring that in. We're going to let them do the work of the evangelist. We're going we're gonna to let somebody else that's more equipped and more qualified because you know what, I put in my time, I've done this, I've not seen a lot of fruit and so I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to let somebody else do it. And friends, when we begin operating in that mentality, of just kind of casually approaching, uh, just kind of casually approaching church and the work of the ministry and advancing the kingdom of God, saying, you know what, I might write a check and I might support it from, from my palace, but I'm not going to actually get involved with what the Lord's doing. We open ourselves up to this dangerous idea of complacency, this, this lie of comfort that eventually positions us to fall drastically into sin. What do I mean by all this? What am I trying to get at? Friends, the enemy doesn't come and tempt me very easily when I'm like full-fledged in the work of evangelism and like, you know, I'm on fire and I'm, you know, I'm around my buddies that I'm saying, God, move. And I'm seeing God move and I'm, I'm like in the trenches asking God to do something and I'm completely reliant and dependent upon him. That isn't when temptation rears its head. It's when I take a step back and I feel like, you know what, I've done enough. You know, I'm comfortable. You pat myself on the back. You know what, Pastor Nate, you did good this week. <laughs> take a break. Go snowboarding. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. The enemy never tempts me when I snowboard, just, just so you know. It's never happened. 
Never. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh, I gotta I gotta find a way to get out of this one. Or somebody's gonna be like, Pastor Nate, snowboarding's the devil. You need to get out of that. <laughs> but the truth is, when I'm like serving Jesus and I'm like in the in the trenches and I'm like I'm doing the work that God's called me to, I'm far less likely to give in to that voice of the enemy saying, Hey, this is better. Right? I'm, I'm talking about when I'm like dependent upon the Lord and I'm, I'm doing what he's called me to do. And so what I, what I wrote here is that when we expect someone else to accomplish what God has called us specifically to do, we open the door to complacency. A preoccupation with advancing the kingdom, doing what God wants and asks of us, is the single greatest defense against the enticing of the enemy. You see, I believe it's the principle of Galatians 5.16 that if we are to walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I believe that that's, a, that, that's kind of it uh, put into, into words. If we, read, if we read what Trapp says about it, it says, Trapp is a, a Bible commentator. He says this, if David had his attention where God wanted it, he would have never put it where God didn't want it. While Joab is busy in laying siege to Rabbah, Satan is to David, and far sooner prevailed. You see, I believe that if we're doing what God's asked us to do, what he's called and created us to do, it serves as a natural defense for the enticing of the enemy. I believe also David was probably just a little bored. <laughs> when in his, in his boredom, <laughs> man, I don't, I don't have anything to do. I don't have any, anything to actually set my energy towards, right? What is that saying? It's like idle hands or a devil's workshop or something like that. Some, I, that's there's some popular. It's not scripture, but the principle is true. Friends, I believe when we're not actively doing something for the Lord. We're not actively engaged and about his business. We open ourselves up to be more susceptible to the attack and the enticement of the enemy. Now hear me. I'm not saying just go do stuff to stay busy. That, that is the complete wrong mentality because busyness will rob you. The enemy would be completely happy if you just stayed busy. He'd be, he'd be like champion like, yeah, I can keep him busy and preoccupied and still far from God. What I'm talking about is that we need to have a relational intimacy with the Lord. We have to walk closely with him. Out of that place, he will give us calling and direction and action. And we see that principle played out again and again and again and again in the life of David. You read his Psalms. You read about when he was victorious over his enemies, when he trusted God the most. And you, you contrast that with what he writes in the Psalms. It's when he was closest to the Lord and spending the most time with him. Friends, if we are rooted in the place of intimately pursuing Jesus, of talking with him, fellowshipping with him daily, I believe that he will speak to you about what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and that if you set yourself about what you're supposed to do, you won't find yourself in a situation like David did. And so I guess at, at the core of this, I, I believe David uh, began his fall away uh, when he stopped being intimately close with the Lord. And that's another message for another day that we could walk through. But 
um, I, I did write this, that I believe that David was most effective when he was most intimate. And you can read that, you can contrast it with his writings and the songs that he sings and psalms, and it, it's powerful. But we know the story, right? You guys, so to, to break it down, um, David, we've talked about kind of his mistake, his failure, but as we continue on in this story, um, spoiler alert, he winds up seeing Bathsheba, desiring Bathsheba, calling for Bathsheba to come into his palace, sleeping with Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets pregnant, um, and so uh, David winds up in this kind of just dilemma, saying, oh my gosh, how am I going to cover this up? How am I going to hide this? He invites, he calls for Uriah, her husband, Bathsheba's husband, to come home and tries to get him to sleep with his wife, but he's a man of more, like, more integrity than we've encountered in a long time and will not do it. <laughs> David even tries to get him drunk in order for him to, to sleep with his wife and somehow cover this whole mess up. When that doesn't work, David has Uriah killed. He has him murdered. <laughs> and then he takes Bathsheba as his, as his wife after she's gone through mourning. And I believe this, he does so to make it appear like, oh, look at King David. He even takes the widows of his friends and brings them into his house to take care of them. Look how great he is and paints and portrays himself as a hero in this story. And then it concludes at the end of 11 saying this displeased the Lord. If that's not the understatement <laughs> of the century there, but it grieved the very heart of God, right? This is the man that's supposed to be after the Lord's own heart. And he makes this massive failure. My question is, how did he get here? Because we read in, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, just a few pages before this. This is David saying before the Lord God, I am sitting in this house, this palace that you've built for me, and it's awesome. But, how, but the presence of God is, is living in a tent. Like, we need to build you a house, God. We need to build you a temple. And God says, thanks, but no thanks. Well, I'll have somebody else do it. So then David says, well, I'm going to give all of my resources to whoever will do it if you won't use me. Like, just completely sold out, right? He's, he's experiencing the presence. He's bringing the presence and the ark of the Lord back into Jerusalem. I mean, this is a guy that is serious about the Lord. This is the same guy that we read just a few chapters before that. Wouldn't dare touch the Lord's anointed, right? I mean, King Saul was trying to spear David to the wall, unjustly, unfounded, completely. And David had such integrity and such fear of God that he wouldn't even dare, even if it was justified. Like, I don't think God would have struck him down if he would have responded and just took out the threat of the guy that was trying to kill him. <laughs> But he had such respect and honor for that office and for the Lord that he wouldn't dare touch him. And we see him walk in such integrity and high honor here. How do we go from the guy that wouldn't, wouldn't fight back against the king that was trying to kill him again and again and again to the guy that is killing one of his most loyal and faithful friends? Completely undeserved. How do we get there, friends? Do you ever, do you know somebody that, man, you would have bet your life that they were going to make it and then, like, you've seen their life unravel and fall apart? 
And you just ask the question, how did they get there? Hmm. Does anybody in here read the news? Ever? Anybody ever get sad when they read the news? I was reading the news the other day when my son was taking a nap. And I read this story. And I'm trying not to be graphic here, but there was this the story of this man in Florida that wound up killing his entire family, his, his wife and his four young kids. And I, I won't go into details of it, but as I was reading it, it was just extraordinarily graphic and heartbreaking. And I was just, I was sitting there like, God, how can somebody do that? I'm thinking about my wife. I'm thinking about my little boy. And like just trying to wrap my mind around like how, I, I can't, I can't imagine that kind of evil or what could possess a person to do something like that. And it was in that place where the Holy Spirit just started working on my heart. He says, Nate, you don't want to know what you're capable of. And friends, you you don't want to know what you're capable of. It is the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God that's continually active in my life that I'm so thankful for. But human nature is vile. Terrible. I don't, I'm not going to go down that road just because of the, the company that we have here, but what changed? I've got to live with the mindset that I'm only one bad decision from being who I used to be or worse. And I, Somebody in here needs to know this. You may have been serving Jesus a long, 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 long time. Friends, you're not immune. You're not exempt to sin. And its ramifications. Please live guarded. Please live cautious and tender hearted before the Lord. We're going to talk about David's downfall. And just in the same thought, I was continuing to read this Bible commentator trap, and he said that David was a better David was better while a servant than a king. For while being a servant, he feared to kill Saul, his adversary, but becoming a king, he basely slew his most faithful friend and dutiful subject. How do we get there? David messed up. Big time. Right? I'm going to read this, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Just to refresh your memory, I'm going to read verse 2. It says, Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of his palace As he looked out over the city, he noticed a beautiful woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. He was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. 
this progression is so sad and so tragic. Right? He starts, he's walking around on the roof, sees this beautiful woman bathing. I wonder how long he stood there waiting, contemplating what he was going to do next. Friends, I mean, we see stuff all the time. I need you to understand, seeing stuff in and itself is not inherently evil. <laughs> you know, I was, we, were, we were snowboarding as a staff. Um, Kelsey was skiing, but we were snowboarding. And I, friends, I got a message from some random number that was completely unsolicited, some kind of weird, um, some kind of weird advertisement. The day and age that we live in is disgustingly vile. And there, there are things that you that just come across that, but you know, I could have sat and entertained that thought, and gone down that road, or immediately I just deleted it and told Tyler about it. Like, dude, that's so weird. Never had that happen before, and just, I mean, just get rid of it, you know. <laughs> And look the other way and go the other direction. Friends, you are going to encounter things. Men and women alike, there are going to be, and I, I, this, the story revolves around sexual sin and adultery and those things. But sin, sin is sin in itself. However you want to apply this to everyday life, there are going to be opportunities that present yourself to party and to drink and, and these things that would try to vie for your attention that inevitably all end with destruction. And when we have, we have a moment there to make a good decision. You see, David, even though he wasn't where he was supposed to be and he was in a situation that he probably wasn't supposed to find himself in, he sees Bathsheba and he could have made a conscious decision. Oh, God, forgive me. I, I need, like, bounce your eyes is what, they, was what they called it in ministry school. Change your direction. Get off the roof, David. <laughs> but he doesn't. It's tragic. You know, I think, of, I think of Joseph, right? Joseph with Potiphar's wife back in Genesis, right? He, I mean, he probably even had some excuse, if I'm putting that in like quotations there, that we're, we could have justified him giving in into some sort of sexual promiscuity to kind of like keep himself alive <laughs> and out of prison. But yet it says that he fleed and he ran. My prayer for you, friends, especially in this day of age, that we would run from any kind of immorality, that we would run when temptation rears its head, not entertain it. But we know the story he says that he sent someone and responds, well, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. Eliam was one of David's mighty men. <laughs> this is one of David's right-hand guys. He probably knew who Bathsheba was. <laughs> the wife of Uriah, one of his mighty men, <laughs> the Hittite. In fact, Bathsheba's grandfather was actually one of David's closest voices of counsel as one of the elders. <laughs> it's not like this was some somebody he wasn't familiar with. Calls her in. They do the deed and she winds up pregnant. In that day and age, 
what both of them were going through their mind was, oh man, we can't let word of this get out because by the law of Moses, we have to both be stoned. (laughs) So how are we going to cover this up? You see, even here, even in this kind of tragedy that's already occurred, right? David still had opportunity to repent. David still had opportunity to come clean and fess up. In fact, I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon writes. He says this, As soon as ever we are conscious of sin, the right thing is not to begin to reason with the sin or to wait until we have brought ourselves into a proper state of heart about it, but to go at once and confess the transgression unto the Lord there and then. Friends, that is some good advice. You see, David didn't need to progress down this road that we find this sin unraveling and kind of come into fruition with great travesty. He made a mistake. He could have fessed up to it. And we know the Lord would still be merciful. (laughs) Spoiler alert, at the end of all this, the Lord is still merciful to David. That's good news. But it didn't have to progress like it did, and there were disastrous consequences as a result. You see, he bought into a lie that he could fix things. That if he kept it under wraps, that he could kind of work things behind the scenes and maybe hurt less people. I think sometimes we buy into the lie of not confessing when we're wrong because we, we let the enemy use this kind of twisted notion that if, if people found out that I was weak, then somehow they're going to distrust the Lord. If they're going to find out that I struggle, oh, Pastor Nate has struggles, man, I can't bring confession to anybody because then uh, if he messes up, then there's obviously no hope for me, right? We buy into this lie. The Lord loves to keep sin secret, to keep it hidden under the pretense that maybe we can make things better and that we can fix things behind the scenes when in reality it's just further unraveling our lives. Friends, I need you to know that there is nothing that you can do in your own effort to make your situation, to make your sin better. The only hope for that is found in Jesus Christ. The only hope for making things better out of the mess of a situation that we've made is when we surrender it to Jesus and he can make it brand new. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that. But to get back to what I was talking about here, the devil has a plan for your life. We're quick to like turn to Jeremiah 29, 11, right? That the Lord has a plan for your life. It's a plan to prosper. Anyway, they were going to Babylon. But there's, there's a plan for you to, to succeed. He's got plans for you, right? We hear that all the time. The Lord has plans for you. But equally important to note is that the devil has plans for your life as well. The enemy has things that he wants to see uh, transpire in your life. And it's not that you commit adultery. It's not that you just see Bathsheba bathing on the roof. It's not that you would even sleep with her. (laughs) 
He wants to bring your whole world crumbling down. You see, he wants you unraveling. He wants to tear down your family, your home, your name, your reputation. He wants to bring you to utter ruin so that when other people look at your life and look at the mess you say, that they would say, there's no way I'm serving the God that those people claim they do. That's exactly what happens to David. That's, that's what it says grieves the heart of the Lord when we read in the next chapter over where the prophet Nathan confronts David saying, you know what, you did all this and the Lord's still going to extend mercy to you, but there's judgment that's still going to come. And now all the other kings and all the other people are going to look at you and you're going to disgrace God. <laughs> You've disgraced the Lord by living in such a way just as they live before all the other people. And friends, that's what the enemy wants for you. He's not interested in you just messing up one little thing here. He wants to bring you to ruin. That's what sin does. Sin, sin when it's full grown, <laughs> leads to death. Right? We know that the wages of sin is death, but he wants to bring you down in spectacular, kind of grandiose way. He wants to destroy you. You need to know that. I wrote this. If you're not immediate, if, oh, my notes are so small. <laughs> if not immediately confronted, one sin can take a wretched course. David indulged his sensual lust for years. Hear me out here. Years. Why do I say years? I don't believe that his problem with women began on that rooftop <laughs> when he was looking at Bathsheba. In fact, we look back, <laughs> we look back, uh, he started taking multiple wives for himself a long time ago <laughs> in his story. And I believe that, uh, I believe this to be true, that, they, that David had a problem with women <laughs> that was not confronted that manifest into this full-blown downfall. I say that because we see it exemplified in the life of his son, right? We see Solomon struggling. Like, he makes David look like child's play, right? I mean, I mean thousands <laughs> at the end of it all <laughs> of women. David obviously had an insatiable desire with lust, that was carried on into the life of his son. Just, just heart-wrenching and sad and just broken. But I think the truth of the matter is, um, friends, uh, you need to know this. I, I'm going to put it this way. If one person can't satisfy you, a thousand others won't. You're only going to find satisfaction with a mate when you're satisfied first in Jesus. <laughs> And understand that God made you for one person. Anyway, that's not actually part of my message. But what I was talking about here was that David indulged his sensual lusts for years and ignored God's warnings and ways of escape. He allowed temptation to turn into lust and lust to turn into adultery. And when the consequences of his adultery threatened to expose his sin right? 
Bathsheba being pregnant. He covered it first with deception and then with murder. And this is what I want you to really take home here. Satan could never tempt David with the entire package at once, but he deceived him with it piece by piece. You see, Satan's plan, his scheme this entire time was not just that David would mess up and look lustfully at Bathsheba or even that he would sleep with her or even get her pregnant, but he was wanting to bring downfall to David in his entirety. What starts off small and maybe seemingly insignificant, a look here or there, can bring destruction upon homes and families. And this, this is particularly to men right now. And I know that this is something that struggles with men and women all across the board. But especially when we're talking about what we look at and what catches our attention, friends, pornography is ruining. It's already ruined a generation. I don't even want to fathom what it's doing to the next. Because while we as men of the home, as those of us that should be standing up to fight for our families, are being distracted and lured away by what we look at, that lust manifests and it causes us to forfeit everything that we thought we once held dear. Do you know what the name Uriah means? You know what it means? It means the light of God. I had a friend in ministry school who was struggling with pornography and he gripped me when he said this, when he discovered this. He said, Nate, I've been sleeping with Bathsheba. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's, I really had that kind of reaction because I had no idea what he was talking about. And he was talking about his struggle with pornography. He said, I'm killing the light of God in my life. Friends, when you sleep with Bathsheba, when you entertain, when you entertain this kind of lustful thinking, even when we might say, you know, it's harmless. I'm not actually doing anything yet. It's a slippery slope. It unravels every aspect of our lives. Hmm. But obviously, right? If David would have thought about what his simple action was going to cost him, he would have never followed through with it. If he would have grasped and thought through practically, like, what am I about to do? Nobody would enter into sin, but right? The allure of sin makes us stupid. And we stop thinking. We give into feeling rather than what we know to be true. <coughs> Not only did David sin here, his one night stand with Bathsheba result in what? An unwanted pregnancy, right? And then an attempted cover-up, which turned into the murder of his best friend. <laughs> Just bad news, right? Grieving the Lord. And then uh, th that child winds up dying. <laughs> so now you have, a, you, you have the death of a child. It says that the sword would never depart w from from David's family, because that was the, the judgment of God. God let the natural repercussions of sin run their course to chastise David, to teach him. Not that he caused it to happen, but he let sin have its course to teach a lesson. His sons fall into utter chaos. His daughter is raped by his son. His other son is murdered by his other son. 
Then the son leads up another rebellion and civil war throughout Israel. This one little look from being in a place where he wasn't supposed to be brought an entire nation into catastrophe. Sin is a big deal, friends. That's what you need to take home from this, is that sin is a really big deal. That's why Jesus came and died on a cross. Guys, I know it's Christmas. I'm supposed to be preaching like happy Christmas messages. I tried. I really did. I wrestled with God about, God, how am I supposed to preach David and Bathsheba? It's Christmas. I want to preach on shepherds and angels. I said, this is the reason why I came, though. Those who think lightly of sin think lightly of their Savior. And so the things that I want to reiterate this morning, and I, I believe this to be true, I believe that some, some of us here in this room have kind of put the gear into neutral and we feel like we're just going to coast for the rest, for the rest of our journey and the rest of our trip. And the Lord is speaking that he's not done with you yet. He's created you for purpose. He's created you with intentionality that there's still calling for you to fulfill and to be careful to, to feel like you've arrived and that he's done with you because he's not. You can't expect somebody else to take your place and take, take what he's called and created you to do and do that for you. There are people that are dying and going to hell that need Jesus here in Pagosa that many of you have a voice to that I don't. Don't grow comfortable and complacent with the work that God's called you to. Because when we do, it opens up. It's like a blasting neon sign saying, hey devil, I'm over here. I don't really care anymore. <laughs> I strongly feel that from the Lord. But the second thing that I want to hit home on is that if you are living in sin, there's no business, there's no reason to hide it. Sin keeps its power when it's locked away in the dark. Shame keeps its power over you when it's, when it's hidden, but when it's brought out into the open, Jesus can deal with it. I believe that the Lord wants to bring about confession and repentance of sin. Because I believe some of us are living, and maybe it's just, you know what, we're looking right now. We're just kind of casually looking. We're in, maybe, maybe we haven't killed Uriah yet. <laughs> We're just looking. Maybe we've started down this road and we've realized that we've made mistakes and we're just trying to make sense of the mess that we've made. Can I tell you, get your hands off of your situation and surrender it to Jesus this morning. 
because you are not going to make whatever kind of mess you've made better without giving it to Jesus. I, I think a lot of the times we feel like we have to clean ourselves up before we come to him or that we've got to somehow show that, God, I really do want this, so I'm going to make these decisions, I'm going to make these changes, and then I'm going to serve you. But that's not how any of this works. You see what David tried to do, right? He realized that he blew it. He realized that he made a mistake. And so he frantically tries to find a solution that only sends him down a road of greater depravity and greater sin. It's what Charles Spurgeon was talking about. As soon, as soon as we realize that there's sin, don't turn your conviction away from it. Run to Jesus. See, but that's just what, <laughs> when there's grief, when there's sin in our lives, the natural reaction for us is to run away from the only one that can help us. And you need a prophet, Nathan. Guess what? My name's Nathan. <laughs> Take that as a sign, if you will. I don't care. <laughs> to confront you and say, make some decisions and stop. <laughs> stop what you're doing. You don't have to kill Uriah. <laughs> Your family doesn't have to fall apart. Things don't have to end in disaster. One because we have something that David didn't have, and that's a Savior. And his name is Jesus. Because while the natural recourse of sin played out in David's life, we serve a God that is bigger. We, we serve a God that can make all things new in Jesus. And he can take the, your 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 past, he can take your mess, he can take your mistakes, and he can write a beautiful story out of it, but you have to surrender it to him. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be consequences for our actions. That doesn't mean there's not repercussion for sin. But we can trust Jesus, friends. He makes things good. Mark 1.15, so simple, such a simple verse. And I was just praying about Christmas. I was like, God, how do I tell people? What, what do I do? What do I say? Repent and believe the gospel. Repent means to stop doing what you're doing <laughs> and do something different. <laughs> That's Pastor Nate's simple translation. It doesn't mean saying, God, I'm sorry. Because my, my son is doing this thing right now. He'll come up and he'll kick you. And he knows that it hurts. <laughs> Say, sorry, mama. I'm like, no, you're not. You just, why, you just kicked me. <laughs> you're not sorry. <laughs> if you were sorry, you wouldn't stop doing it. <laughs> sorry can show remorse, right? Repentance shows change of action. can only do that by the help of the Holy Spirit, but I believe that there's grace in this season to do that.
and believe the good news. And the good news is that Jesus loves you, friends. The good news is that Jesus came as a baby, lived as a man, died as God in your place. So you don't have to be the same person that you've always been, but that you can be a new creation in Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm asking for I'm asking for you guys to be real with the Lord for a moment. Because while you may say, you know, I'm not committing adultery, so this message isn't about me. (laughs) Maybe you're not doing what God's asked you to do. Don't let another moment go by. Don't let another day progress going down some other road while you try to figure it out. Because it unravels, brings destruction. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.